The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. The worldview that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show where two pastors from different generations talk about truth in today's culture. At the top of the show today, let's go ahead and spread this content by liking and sharing it and making sure that you're subscribed to our show. And for all of you on YouTube, hit the bell so you can be informed of all upcoming shows. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of the Lathia Bible Fellowship's online podcast network of shows called the VRM. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about ABF and our local church in Portland, Oregon. And now that all of that is said, I'm Pastor Josh, the senior pastor over at ABF, and your co-host for this show, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to Truth Time. I am Pastor Monty, and I'm sitting here with Pastor Josh, and today we're going to be covering a number of fascinating uh, issues uh, as we uh, look at uh, real life and how we are impacted uh, by life as uh, believers. But let's start out by getting into um, the Christ factor. So we're in uh, Colossians, uh, and we're in the second uh, book of or second chapter of Colossians, and uh, we are picking up at verse six. And uh, this is just a, a wonderful passage that the Apostle Paul now begins to elaborate on who we are in Christ. And so he says, um, "So then, just uh, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him." rooted and built and strengthened in the faith as you were taught with overflow and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophy, which depends on the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For Christ in for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head of every authority, over every authority. In him you were also circumcised with not a circumcision performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with which you were also raised with him uh, through Faith in which is working in God, who raised him from the dead. Uh, there's a lot there, and so we'll go back. Uh, I I uh, I'm hopeful, but I don't think that we'll get to the part of talking about circumcision. I, I do love that this discussion on circumcision. Mm-hmm. 
but uh, we start out in verse 6. So, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus, continue to live in him, uh, your lives being rooted and built and strengthened in the faith as you were taught. So, uh, you know, th- I would say that this is one of the key passages. Um, th- there are many passages, I suppose, that you could dis- uh, say are key in Colossians. But this is clearly one passage that uh, applies uh, even today as we talk with believers about who they are in Christ and, and, uh, and the importance of understanding that the, the, uh, the life that we live as disciples of Christ is, is not an event, but it is a process that God through his Holy Spirit takes us as we walk on to maturity. In my experience as a as a uh, as a believer, having observed many aspects of, of different uh, church lives, uh, remember that my my background is fairly eclectic. So you know, I I grew up in uh, the Disciples of Christ Christian Church. I uh, you know have worship and uh, participated in worship at Lutheran churches. Um, I'm a conservative Baptist. Uh, I pastored a conservative Baptist church for many years, but I'm ordained as a North American Baptist. I mean, the list goes on and on. I'm just, I'm just eclectic and, and not tied to one particular belief system. But I've noticed that there are many, many individuals who view their lives uh, in Christ uh, oftentimes as an event. Yes, <laughs> and and <clears throat> and they kind of stop there. So you ask them, you know, um, uh, you know, are they are they a believer? And they can point to maybe they can point to uh, a conversion event. Yeah, but but sadly, sometimes it it stops there. Yeah, I don't think even uh, I I don't know that that's even the case anymore. Like I think that how do you mean most believers are post conversion uh hmm, how do you say that most believers in this day and age seem to be non conversion personal experience like ethereal you know no actual event just sort of a a nebulous amorphous like blob of um, so so they, don't, they don't even have something they can harken back to? Right, that's what I'm saying. I think yeah. a lot of believers, you know, they they think... I think a lot of believers think of their Christianity as something that is outside the realm of meaningful space and time. Interesting. Yeah. That's, Interesting. Yeah, especially and, in the progressive realm where it's like, you know, we believe in Christ, but it's more of a universal consciousness... So okay, so I, I I hear you. So does that does that explain the reason why many people seem to be unanchored then? Yes. Yeah, definitely. As as you as you talk as you talk to various uh, individuals in their various growth stages in their walk with Christ, oftentimes uh, people seem to be unanchored. Well, I think you can go back to John. Um, who also, like so the Apostle John, who also was dealing with a type of like proto-Gnosticism, um, 
that Paul is dealing with in Colossians. And um, he makes it clear that you have to link the you have to link your faith with the um the event of the of Christ's death on the cross yes and the the meaningful uh effect of Christ in real space and real time um for you know as a real person and a lot of believers back then as as is now are starting to disconnect their faith from that so Christ isn't actually whether Christ actually happened doesn't matter so much as um, how I feel about the idea of Christ happening. So they've, they're, you know, they're saying there's no actual event that matters. So then for them, there's nothing that actually matters. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's just kind of a, a vicious circle where if you unchain yourself from the cross of Calvary, and the fact that it occurred in space and time, which the Gospels are very clear yeah. that that is a significant moment, and it did occur in space and time through the person of Jesus Christ. Um, if you're unlinked to that, and uh, I mean theologically, if your theology is that way, then it it it, uh, it seems that you would also have that problem in your in applying it personally to your own life. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's where, at least in my experience in this day and age, currently, I mean, you're, you were pastoring at the end of an era of Christianity. Um, Like, because if you look at the height of evangelical Christianity, it was like toward the end of the 80s, early 90s, right? Mm -hmm, Right. And so you're, you're pastoring a church toward the end of that era where people had a general Christian consensus um, and they were starting to play with the truth. But the era that we are in right now, pastorally, is in sort of a post-truth era. Okay. So I think that that's, <clears throat> that's where we're at, is most Christians, they, they don't, uh, we'll call it, quibble over the details sure. of, of their yep. Christianity. <laughs> sure, and, and with that, I would just... Uh give a shameless plug that uh, you guys should be praying for Pastor Josh because that's a hard arena to minister within. Yeah, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, no, that's that's a hard arena. Um, but if we go back to Colossians here, for example, and there are other places in the writings of the Apostle Paul where he definitely places an anchor and he says, yes. you know, you need to continue, continue to live as you were taught, and you know uh, the uh, the the Hebrew people. If you look at uh, Israel and you look at the history of Israel, every time there was a significant event, God commanded that an altar be built. Mm-hmm. And the the purpose of the even <laughs> even at the crossing of uh, rivers, uh, in the middle of a river in Israel you will find uh, a memorial to an event that uh, God required be built there because he required that memorials be built for the purpose of the people remembering him and his goodness to them. And in the same way as believers, I personally believe it's, it's really important for believers to take stock of um, the work of God within their lives and how God has ministered to them and that they should do that uh, on a, uh, on a, at the very least, 
uh, on a, a quarter or quarterly basis throughout the year. So I like, for example, I normally like, for example, when I have a birthday or something like that, mm-hmm. I'm going to think about, you know, wow, I'm getting old. <laughs> I'm getting old. Um, but you know what? What has God been doing in my life and and you know what has he done this last year and how can I see him working and and you know those types of things are really important to stabilize and strengthen my life as uh, as a mature believer yeah I mean I think it should happen every day um every every morning and every evening and every other time I think that that's the um like we look at food well, sometimes need it more. Some people need it more than others. <laughs> I think you know you you look at food and um, like one of the things in like oh, well, I mean, I'll be vulnerable. One of the things in my personal journey with food is understanding the need to pray for your food, specifically yes. to give thanks for it. Right, I agree with that, and um, just understanding what food is and nourishment and where it comes from and and. So I think that that's that's a factor in it. We also see in um, we also see in Paul's writing in um, or maybe it's James. Yeah, well we we see it all over the place. Like I think of Paul in Philippians where he talks about be anxious for nothing, but in everything give right. give thanks. Right? right. So I think what 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 you know what you're talking about there can really play into the to the idea of thanks, and if you approach God with thanks, then a lot of the problems that you have as a Christian um, begin to naturally fade away because the anxiety that comes from holding all the burdens and all the things that need to be accomplished and all the things that as a finite creature become difficult because we live moment to moment, um, you know, those things can, can go away. And I think that that's why God calls us specifically to be in memorial to him all the time to remember to remember it's just it's always to remember and when we look at sin habitual sin specifically what we see is it's always connected to not remembering not remembering god as god not remembering that he's in the problem with you not remembering that's when when i'm counseling that's what i'm constantly dealing with is somebody has allowed their situation to deteriorate because they chose not to worship God as God in that moment. Right, and they feel alone in their in their uh, issue. Right, instead of remembering the right. good the goodness of who of who God is. And it's funny because that's something even the world uh, from a secular standpoint like values, you know? Like you have uh like eastern mysticism calls you to center yourself for instance sure, sure you know like think well they want you to empty yourself but like only think good thoughts positive thoughts into the world and center yourself right that that is a counterfeit version of what we're talking about here in scripture and giving thanks to God but that is even the world gets that concept well, well <laughs> yeah in fact you know when I was in the corporate world. Uh, you know, um, there was a big push for people to use uh, calendars. Yeah, and there's <laughs> yes, the, okay. <laughs> and, and there's well, there and there's this uh, there's this company that is based out of Utah that's very big in the calendar thing. And one of the things that they promote is that <laughs> is that you you center yourself with your calendar, 
and you become one with it yeah. <laughs> every every day. I mean, they make kind of like a little ritual out of it, you know? Yeah. yeah it, it, every amazing. every day I get. I can't. I haven't. I haven't taken the time because it's not worth it to me to figure out when it does this on my watch. But I have an Apple Watch, and every oh, yeah. every day I get this moment where it's like, take a moment to be mindful, you know? Yeah. But that's the counterfeit version. Yeah. Of of that, and it's funny because they choose the term mindful, but what they really mean is emptying the mind. Yeah, so I not actually mindful, but you know, whatever. I definitely delete that. <laughs> yeah. So so the 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 point is though, as believers. We really need to be focused to understand that that um, there is a, a an appropriate time, and I suppose the reason why I don't uh, yes I pray every day and you know I'm thinking about the work of God uh, in the lives of my wife and my children and and the things that are going on and I pray for them I pray for you Josh I pray for you and, and for the 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 uh, burden which is on your shoulders definitely necessary i know what that's like so you know i do that but but i remember when i was growing up as a young believer and you know we had this uh, group of people that uh, their understanding of religiosity was that uh, you weren't really dedicated to christ until you were getting up and at three or four in the morning and doing a, a bible study before you started your day and I'm like, you know, I I couldn't do that. And I struggled for a long time with the fact that I just wasn't wired that way. Now now that I'm old, <laughs> whether whether I like to be or not, God's wired me that way. And I'm, up, I'm awake at 2.45 or 3 o'clock whether I want to be or not. But, but when I was young, that was a real struggle, people saying, you have to fit into this box. So I try not to fit people into a box that they have to do things at a certain time, but I I do agree with you 100% that you need to have the proper mindset, and that's what the Apostle Paul's talking about here. Yeah, I try to wake up in the morning every day and commit time to that, and I think you know the situation that we find ourselves in in our culture with such accessibility to vice yes, is yes. is difficult. Like alone, I'll I'll be honest with you. Alone this week, I have had to I've come in touch um, in counseling with issues of um, like extreme drugs, you know, sure. fentanyl and cocaine and meth, heroin, and I haven't touched that one yet, but. Um, <clears throat> Although in the past I have, you know, issues of uh, marital issues, issues, even child pornography. I've been dealing with a lot of things in terms of counseling. And, um, yeah, without without understanding, like, all as Paul puts it, um, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking, right? Yeah, right. Like, I can't imagine dealing with these things. With in and of this yourself, yeah, high sounding human thinking, you know, even especially with me being a biblical counselor dealing with secular counseling, right. and the way that secular counseling, you know, teaches you to again like empty yourself and center yourself, and and all of these things, I I just can't imagine trying to navigate these situations that way. Yes, yeah, so so we're gonna end this section today right here um, with uh, with keeping in mind that that it is important for you to establish um, an understanding of of, uh, of that you be grounded in your faith that you uh, set aside time to be remembering 
of what God has done in your life and that that be a point of focus for you um, as you live that you might be strengthened in him. Uh, next week, we're going to pick up with the idea of uh, empty philosophy, that we are not to be captured by that and the danger that can be there. And so we'll pick that up next week. Let's talk a little bit about relationship. Now we've been covering uh, we've been covering uh, the aspects of relationship for a little while now, and we've been talking particularly about the marital relationship. And we're going to talk today just uh, some mechanical type things that I think are helpful because um, you can apply these, and you should apply some of these mechanics to to all of the dynamics that occur in relationship. But but um, sometimes it's helpful just to talk about how do you deal with certain things because what often the, the, the two areas where relationship and particularly marital relationships break down significantly is in dealing with uh, communication and, uh, and issues surrounding finance, which of course can come back to improper communication. And I know when I do marital counseling, um, we premarital counseling. We normally spend at least three weeks on dealing with just what communication is, and then some tools that the that equip the potential couple to be able to uh, survive the uh, the experience. So that's what I thought we would do today for just 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 a little bit. Some some tools that might be helpful. So let's start out with uh, let's start out with just some some basic things which which are helpful. At least I find I'm I find helpful is that when when uh, I'm discussing things with uh, with my wife and we're in uh, in an involved discussion and and I prefer <laughs> my kids used to say when when. Uh, when they were young and they would observe uh, their mother and I in elaborate discussion, they would say, you're, are you fighting? And I would like be, no, we, we, we are, uh, we are involved in, uh, in an intense um, discussion. Or, I mean, I, I would try to stay away from the idea that we were fighting more the idea that we're involved in a uh, involved discussion, which is not necessarily an argument. It is simply we're involved in an intense discussion, and that's okay. It's okay to be involved in those intense discussions uh, on both sides. But one thing that I try to stay away from is I try to stay away from using uh, the the, uh, the the word you. So I. If I'm trying to explain something and I'm talking with another person and they don't seem to be getting what it is that I'm saying, I don't say, you don't understand. <coughs> the reason I don't do that is because, because if, if I'm communicating and I want to get across an idea and I 
I am having difficulty doing that, and it seems that I'm not getting through my ideas, not coming through in in our uh, intense discussion. Um, if I use the word you and I say to somebody, you don't understand what I'm saying, what I'm doing is I'm shifting responsibility to be on the shoulders of the individual who is receiving the information instead of me being the one who is giving the information. And if, if, uh, if, if I'm not being understood, then I have the responsibility to find a different way to say it or to clarify. And so my way of dealing with that is not to say you don't understand me or you don't understand, uh, but is to say I'm not making myself clear. Let me try a different approach. And so then I will take the responsibility to try a different approach and, and not put that person on defensive. That's, that's a technique that I use. Now, I don't know, Josh. You have different techniques, and yours are very successful. But I'm just, do, have you ever employed that? Or? Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to be a lot more directive in the way that I deal with things. So I have no problem saying you need to do this or... Um, you, or this is what you're saying, or, or so on and so forth. I I think that what needs to be communicated is uh, your own, like as the person communicating. I think what needs to be communicated, and you find your own way to do this, is your own um, uh, longing for and responsibility to um, seek to understand better what's being said. So yeah. if you can if you can communicate to the to the other person that perhaps your understanding isn't what it should be, then I don't think that it really matters whether you where whether you're direct in saying like you communicated this way. So and it really depends on the person, obviously. Sure, and, and I, I guess what I would say in response to that is simply that that yes, each. Each person needs to develop their own style. Yeah. But but in that you need the tools to be able to look and see what that style is going to be. So this is one thing for you to consider. So I I so for me I, in directive counseling it's important to establish um consequential behavior, right? Sure. Yeah. So it's a uh, causal behavior so like you you did this and so this is the outcome of, of what approach you took. So for me, I always try to establish um, that causal understanding with somebody. So this is what you said. This is how I took it. If I took it wrong, then is it because, is it, is it, is it, uh, did you cause me to take it wrong, essentially, is what I want a person to, to think about. And that's got to be, uh, you can, manufacture goodwill for that if you're the same you know if you're the same about the things that you've said so i said this this seems to be the outcome of it you know and that's not what i wanted to accomplish what do i need to do to change that so that i can get across my point i think if you're generous in being vulnerable with that then you can establish goodwill when you say to somebody this is this is what you said. Did you mean to come across this way? Yeah, because this is how I would take it. Right, you know. So and and so that leads us into my next point. It's a good segue to go into the next point, 
that when I'm involved in an intense discussion, um, I stay away from personalization and, and, uh, and, and pigeonholing the person that I'm dealing with uh, by using um, – what's that word you use, Josh? You know, I don't call them names. I don't ad hominem. You know, yeah, ad hominem. I, I don't do ad hominem attacks. But but the the point of the discussion, if you're having one, the 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 the, the discussion needs to have a point to focus on. What are you trying to accomplish? And ad hominem attacks don't don't accomplish anything. If anything, they they put people on the defensive. So, so what I try to do is I try to focus on this, which is what Josh was talking about. What, what are we trying to accomplish here? What's the goal? Is there an action that we're, you know, are, are you frustrated because I'm acting a certain way? Are you frustrated because, um, you know, I, I, I said I was going to do something and I didn't do it. Are you, you know, so, so there, there are integrity or truthful or there's, there's issues that are surrounding which are, are the important aspect of what we need to focus on. And so I, I try to spend time looking at what is it that we need to deal with. Uh, in, in, my, in my method of problem solving is always to say where are we now where do we want to get the you know where do we want to be how do we get there and that eliminates all the side stuff that can come in so have i done something am i not doing something have i uh you know uh, do i need to seek forgiveness because i said i was going to do something and i didn't you know what are the things that i need to keep focus on rather than making ad hominem attacks on people yeah i think that the one of the best things that you can ask is what are you hearing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, and uh, another sort of form of that question is what does this mean to you? It's, you know, so like when you, when you see somebody acting irrationally in communication, um, meaning that the outcome of the, the, the outcome of the comment that you made or the action that you took when you're communicating with them is not what you would expect it to be, right? So right. it seems irrational. I think that that's, that's what you, I think that you can lean on those sorts of questions, like asking the person to explain themselves. Um, but you have to do it in a non-accusatory fashion, right? right? It's, right. It's, it's, it's in literally, I'm trying to understand the situation. Something just happened here. I recognize that it's meaningful. You know, I recognize that you're not just... Um, being childish or something like that, and so I'm going to ask you, like, what does this mean to you? I think we, I, I think that we're not connecting. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I, you know. So one technique that people use to 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 deal with that or employ to deal with that is called active listening, and really sure. what Josh is talking about is active listening, right? Where you're asking the person that you that you're dealing with, you know, what what did I say that you think I said? Right. Well, what are what, what are you hearing? What are you hearing? And and uh, and allow that person to to give feedback, yeah. And say this is what I heard, and so then you can confirm or deny. Well, I don't confirm or deny that I said that. No, you you. you, you well, I, I think I think so. 
what people don't seem to understand is that words are containers for ideas. Yeah. Right? There's a lot of people who think that words have only one way of being interpreted. Oh, my goodness. And the truth is, is that you can have many, uh, many people can take the same facts and interpret them differently. Yes. Depending on a whole bunch of factors. So the what needs to happen is a meeting of the minds in any sort of communication, and you you need to you need to um, deal with people without assuming that they have the same uh, verbiage as you when you come into conflict, right? Yes. So when you come into conflict, then you got to look at definitions and you got to ask yourself again, what does this mean to you? Because uh, you know, what's the, what's the adage about the thumbs up? Like giving somebody a thumbs up in America means you know positivity, but right. somewhere else it's like it it's like uh, flipping it's, them off or something. Yeah, 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 you know, and it's that sort of thing. People don't people don't often people take for granted language, but the truth is is that underneath the container of language. So we're going to talk about logos and rhema in the Greek. That's what we talk about, right? right? The container right. of language, rhema. Versus the idea of language, logos. So when you're, or logos to to us English speakers, uh, when you're talking about that, you have to look for the idea behind it. And a lot of people carry messaging where um, they've been taught to interpret a word a certain way. A a great example of that is um, father, right? Well, for a lot of people, father in this generation is patriarchy right and patriarchy is oppression um and that has to do with a lot of factors it has to do with the fact that there's a lot of abandonment for instance and there's a lot of male toxicity which that is an actual thing where males are overly dominant and so on and so forth so if you talk to somebody in like an evangelical circle um nine times out of ten they're going to see father as positive at least right now right but outside that father is seen as domineering and and so you can't and then you come from a roman catholic circle and then father is you know priestly and it you you can't just take language for granted so it's helpful when you're using language to ask the question what does that mean to you what are you hearing because it then provides clarity and so that you're you're on the same page and and it will then allow you if somebody gives you feedback that 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 no you said you said father for example or you present an idea of father but they see it as a negative term then that behooves you then to change your tactic and to use words that are conveying what you actually mean. I, I, and that's I, why it becomes your responsibility. Yes. Now, I will say that once you've established terms, then if a person refuses, once you've established reasonable terms, if a person refuses to adhere to those reasonable terms, so you said, this is what Father means to me, and so when I'm saying it, I'm not saying all these other things. And the person gets that, but they just want to be petty about it. Yeah, yeah. Then that is no longer your issue morally. Um, it is your decision whether you want to live in the conflict of it. Right. You may end up having to to then focus for a short time on establishing what's a workable right uh, word format that you can both agree to. Right. So, like, um, 
uh, where that applies practically is from parents to children. Yes. Or um, in the classroom where people are like offended because you used a certain word. But once right. you dis- once you once you have an understanding of what that word is, um, as a teacher, there's no need for you to constantly go back and no. apologize the word. Yeah. Agreed. Okay, so and that leads us into um, our discussion of uh, of what I call uh, the conversational game of catch, and we're going to leave that as a cliffhanger, um, because we're uh, pressed for time. Uh, we're going to leave that as a cliffhanger and take up next week, uh, starting off with uh, with an understanding of conversation as a game of catch. And if you played catch, hey, this is springtime. So springtime, you know, people are getting out the baseball and doing baseball and, and the glove and the ball and stuff. Think about a game of catch, and uh, we'll be talking about that next week. With that, let's uh, go into our segment. Uh, what's your take? All right, then. <laughs> I love that. Um, and that's kind of, and you know what? That's kind of, that's kind of what, uh, where we're at today. Um, wow. I'll, I'll just briefly touch on these. Uh, we are living in, vo- we are living in volatile times. The war, which is going on in, in Ukraine with, uh, Russia being the aggressor, Putin in particular, but Russia being the aggressor, um, they believed that they could walk in and they could uh, occupy Ukraine and crush them within uh, three days, and we're now extending uh, into week four. Right. And there, Russia's having some issues, and NATO is having some issues in trying to have some consistency in how it's going to approach things because of... Uh, the because uh, the Ukraine is not a member of NATO, and yet it sits right there on the border of several countries that are, for example, Poland, which is next to the Ukraine uh, demographically. Uh, people, refugees are pouring out of Ukraine into Poland uh, because of what's happening, and so there's this back and forth about how do we deal with this and. Uh, the supplying of weapons. So NATO is supplying weapons. Who, who, who? The United States is one of the principals uh, in NATO for that type of technology, and yet uh, we don't want to be involved. So what they're trying to say is, that we don't want to be involved in a, a war, war. You know, World War Three. But uh, so there's this very, very difficult, uh, tenuous stuff that's going on over there right now. Our president decided that it would be a good thing for him to go over uh, to NATO and to the NATO alliance and talk to the leaders at NATO. And um, I'm just repeating to you what has happened. I'll limit my analysis for now. But just to say that this person has created three faux pas this week that are major for potentially dragging the U.S. into a war. And uh, the first one is that when he was asked about the potential for Putin to use uh, 
mechanisms that uh, are forbidden by the Geneva Convention, uh, the Geneva Convention, for example, the use of uh, uh, nerve gas or, or various chemicals, so chemical warfare. During World War II, the Nazis developed various forms of chemical weaponry that were, uh, were deadly and, uh, and, and were tormenting in how it is that they affected people. Uh, nerve gas, uh, you know, so you've heard of things like ricin, mustard gas, all those types of things. Well, after World War II, there was an agreement that these things were no longer be allowed. So, but, but the United States has a stockpile of those in, uh, actually, uh, many of them were up at the Hanford property in Washington and has slowly been destroying that stockpile uh, per agreement, and Russia was supposed to do the same thing, but they still have ample supply of those. And so the question was asked by the press, Do you? Um, what would happen if Russia used uh, nerve gas or some type of chemical warfare? How would the United States and NATO respond? And President Biden, off of the cuff, said that uh, that we would respond in kind. Now, what? Like we what, would use nerve gas also? Yeah. Uh, he said we would respond in kind. Now, this sent. Uh, uh, the, the, that, that statement is, first of all, in violation of U.S. policy that we do not use those types of, right. uh, types of deals. Um, no, we just, we just assassinate. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Okay. We're going to talk about it in a moment because, no, we don't. Okay. And we just hire contractors who will? No, no, the United States is not supposed to be involved in that. But there are policy things that have been set in place that, um, and so basically he made this statement that we would, uh, that we would respond in kind. And then the White House had to spend several, several days, even over this last weekend, trying to back that off and say, no, that's not what he... He said that, but he really didn't mean that. Okay, the second thing that he did was he visited the troops over in the NATO. We have about uh, upwards of 8,000 troops which are assigned to NATO and, uh, and over in that area. And during his pep talk to the troops there... He uh, alluded to the fact, in fact, he, out, he outright told them that they would understand the gravity of the situation in the Ukraine when they were actually there and that they would be going there and seeing that. Well, the policy of the United States, even with in regard to NATO, is that there will be no troops on the ground from the United States into Ukraine. So we will not get ourselves involved in another Afghanistan. Mm. And he directly told the troops there uh, that uh, they were going to be going into the Ukraine. So the White House tried to back that off and give a different spin into... Now, you you got to keep in mind, this is not petty because this is the leader of the free world uh, who is talking here. So he's made two faux pas already, which are in clear violation of U.S. policy and intention. And then his third one this week, which, uh, again, just sent a firestorm, 
is that he made a speech while he was in the Ukraine. So he made a speech there, and he was talking. He was uh, freewheeling it, which for President Biden is dangerous. He was freewheeling it, and he clearly said that, uh, as Josh just alluded to, that Putin needed to be taken out and needed to be, uh, you know, the illusion being that he needed to be south. Basically, what they, the, the, the diplomatic term is uh, regime change. Sure. And we have had disastrous consequences um, when it comes to regime change. You might remember, well, maybe you, many of you don't because you don't follow history quite the way that, that I do, but uh, during the uh, Clinton, uh, during the um, during the Obama administration, of which of which Biden was the vice president during the Obama right. administration, under uh, Hillary Clinton as the Secretary of State, uh, they sought to bring about a regime change in Benghazi, mm-hmm. which ended up in disaster. And and uh, there is a, it is U.S. policy that we do not send in assassins, that we do not replace the leaders of other countries and put in puppets. Uh, that's the policy. So this right this individual who is the leader of the Except free world. That's what was they were trying to do with Benghazi. And it was a disaster. The, was, the point I'm making is it's not exactly... It's un, But it's it, it was not authorized or allowed. Well, and Except that Obama did that because... Like we don't think that there's black book I'm operations. Not, I'm not going to talk... Um, black ops is what it's called, not black book. It's... The, the point, okay. the point black, is... Black ops and black book are two different things. The, the point is, <laughs> is this is not a message that you send to the rest of the world that we want to uh, eliminate uh, Putin and bring in a regime change. That's not every country is considered sovereign. Now, whether you agree with me or don't, that as you're alluding to, Josh, that, the, that uh, we have been sloppy about that in the past, nonetheless, as the leader of uh, the free world, you do not make those statements publicly. And Biden, you, you don't feel like Trump... Oh no! Okay. No, no. Clearly, clearly, Trump did not, and he did not suggest certain things as well. What the what the left were basically saying then is that, uh, in regard to this statement, was that well, you know, President Biden is having a Reagan moment. Okay. And they tried to allude to the fact that when uh, President Reagan said, uh, "Tear this wall down." that it was the same thing as we're going to uh, eliminate Putin. Well, I don't I don't want to get not too, the same. Thing. I don't want to get too much into the um, into the politics of it, but it I mean it shouldn't surprise us when you have I don't want to get it too much into this conversation either because we're we'll probably talk about it in culture insanity, but when you have Will Smith, right? Oh yeah, the bitch slap. Mm. <laughs> when you have the the slap that reverberated around the world <laughs> when you when you have this incredibly memeable moment that happens in a group of people who are intensely liberal right yeah oh yeah 
Yeah. So uh, there's an interesting uh, Ben Shapiro uh, did an interesting uh, commentary on it where he was just talking about. Oh, I'd love to hear what Ben said. Yeah, there uh, he does an interesting commentary on it where he's where he's talking about the the way that uh, microaggressions, you know, like the way that we perceive um, these, like even even now a joke from from a comedian is viewed as actionable. Uh, you know, anger basically, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's worth, it's worth you fighting over. Um, and so it, it's not surprising when it, it seeps so far into, into culture now that it surprises even the people that, you know, are calling for canceling people and like killing people who disagree with you and so on and so forth. Yeah, Adam Carolla was talking a little bit about that. Too. And Biden is, you know, Biden sits at the the high supreme seat of of uh, the liberal you know the liberal agenda right now, and so yeah, it's supposed it's, supposed to be a moderate, but not really. But so it's not it's not surprising from that standpoint that you know. So he's made. So my point he's is, making he's making comments. He's that, making comments yeah. which have disastrous potential disastrous consequences, and then when the press confronts him about it, he won't walk anything back. He's, he will even go to the point of saying, I didn't say that. Now, are you certain now, that he doesn't remember? Well, that's a that's a secondary issue that we could talk about. <laughs> Maybe he actually whether thinks or not, he didn't Whether say the it. 25th Amendment should be invoked or not. That seems um, disastrous as well. Uh, yeah, because then you'd put uh, Kamala Harris and, oh, uh, yeah, it's, wow. So, so uh, just like I said, you need to talk for, listen, you may not be involved in all this. You, this may not be your cup of tea. But um, you not only do you need to pray for Pastor Josh as your leader, and at ABF at, at ABF and and what he does, you need to pray for for uh, for God's hand to uh, you know to be clearly in what's happening in the world today. Well, you need to pray for Biden and all those people. Yeah, pray for Will Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I'm uh, sad anyway, for him. Yeah, so uh, that's. My take on it, wow. I, I, yes, I just pray that God uh, would be sovereign in all these things, and I cringe every time I hear some of the things going on. Um, okay, so let's 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 move on uh, uh, with uh, um, what's up with that. Now I um, I've got a positive. What's up with that? So I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about the uh, bitch slap from uh, Will Smith, but uh, <laughs> Josh might talk about that in culture on Saturday. So I'm not. I hear that some people are referring to it as the Hitch slap. Yeah, what could? <laughs> yeah, because of his movie Hitch. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's a, I would just say my take on that is that what we have in full glory uh, is, um, I'll, I'll put out there as a teaser, that my take on it is what we have shaking in my full head already. glory is uh, celebrity privilege uh, present in, in high fashion. Oh, you can, you can just, yourself just, there. Just as, yes, just as, just as with Jesse uh, Smollett. Smollett yes. uh, he, you could hardly call him a celebrity. I just... Well, he thinks he's one. Well, okay. Yeah, I he mean, thinks he's one. He was in, what, the, that one show? 
uh, on Fox for a little bit, and then he was a mighty duck. I'm taking him <laughs> at his word that he's a celebrity. His so, sister, and, his sister's pretty <laughs> famous though. Okay, and see, I never heard of her, so I don't know. You know, she Move. was she was a. Um, uh, Michelle Tanner's best friend on Full House. Okay, okay. When she's a kid. Yeah, cool. Let's let's talk about something positive. So rarely when we do what's up with that because there are just so many crazy things going on. Uh, they're kind of humorous or just kind of make you question what's up with that. But occasionally you do get a positive one. And I was watching uh, a uh, the end of a 60 Minutes uh, presentation for those of you that are, aren't old people and don't, don't watch those kinds of things. I record them. Sometimes the, they have titles that make me want to watch them. Yeah, but yeah. But then just, it falls apart when you open it up. I'm like, ah, I could watch. I could watch. You know, a, a rerun of Stargate, or I could watch there. 60 Minutes. <laughs> tough choice. I'll go with Stargate. Yeah, tough choice. You know, Pluto, so. <laughs> the streaming network, has just decided to launch 24-hour Stargate channel. Oh, interesting. It was also acquired by Amazon. None of this matters to you. Anyway, <laughs> keep going. So there is... A, Not after, Pluto, but... Uh, yes, I, I get it. I get it. After World War II, <laughs> after World War II, the, there were, uh, there's a, a foundation um, that was formed particularly after the showing list, Spielberg's um, presentation... It really spoke to a lot of people. Yeah, it's a masterpiece. And, and so he, after the the movie, one of the things that came about what was is that there was a for, uh, foundation which was made specifically to deal with Holocaust matters, and uh, the the term that is used in the Hebrew community for the Holocaust is Shoah, and so it's called the Shoah Foundation. And they started compiling data uh, from Holocaust uh, survivors so that they would have some type of a database well, and they're as these people got older. Very old now. Yeah. Like, there's, only, there's not that many left. No, no. And so they've been working on this for like, you know, 15, 20 years. Yeah. So they've got this huge database. Well, there are still some survivors that are alive. Yeah, not that many, though. And this this uh, gal who... And they were all like children during the Holocaust. Yeah, yeah. So this... so Yeah, this one person, the, the, the person that they used to start this project that they're working on was 11 years old. There you go. And now he's in his 80s. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, he, he died. Okay. He died, but he. But in the very beginning of this project, so there was this woman who said, you know, having the written documented information is cool, but that's not enough, particularly right. with video and AI and all this stuff that's going on, the technology that we have today, we can do better. Yeah. And so what she did is she went to the, the Shoah Foundation and she said, this is my idea. I want to have actual interviews with Holocaust uh, survivors where they can answer people's questions. Yeah, that's creepy. And well it is because because it's even, that stuff they're doing with the uh the new um the you know the hereditary stuff where yeah, yeah. it's like they make like your old pictures come to life. Yeah. 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 So so they so she convinced later married him 
But but she oh, convinced okay. the director of Shoah. She's on a mission. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that he should indulge her idea and work on it. And so they begin this project where, where they have done now thousands of them. But they, they're beginning to take the library and create a library of people. Um, and I think they've got four museums around the country, mm-hmm. uh, Holocaust museums where you can go in. And you can go in and you can actually sit down and talk with to a, a Holocaust character. provider and ask questions. And the uh, artificial intelligence of the computer searches this huge database. When they were putting this together, so you've got cameras from every angle, and you've got you've got microphones going on, and you've got all this stuff. And so they asked. It took them a week of just asking every question that they could think of of the participants, yeah. so that the computer can go in and search this huge database when you ask a question. And so you go in and you sit down and you ask questions of this Holocaust uh, survivor, and they talk about their life experience. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's like a Alexa Nazi edition. <laughs> kind of, yeah, yeah. But um, well, not Nazi edition. It would be Shoah edition. Show, yeah, Holocaust Shoah. edition. Alexa. Shoah edition. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is. So is it is it an AI? Like it's uh, like you're looking at the person and yes. they talk back to you. And does it load? Like you ask it a question and then it loads, or you ask it a question and then it loads it, but you. But it looks like you're still having conversation with this person. Well, what you're doing is you're sitting there. So you're sitting in a room, and the person is sitting, and the, the, the person that they used in order to do the prototype on this, right. he said it was, it was exhausting because he had to, <laughs> for a week, he's wearing the ball. He all had over to him. wear the same exact clothes. Man, that sounds terrible. And he sat in the same exact chair. And they did all this, all this filming. So, but 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 the the outwork of it, to answer your question, Josh, is what happens is that you go in, you sit down, and you ask a question, just like you're having a conversation. Yeah. So is it seamless? And, That's the thing. Yes, that I it learned. is. It okay. Is so seamless. it's like so so it's a virtual person. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get it. That's and the cool. and the reason why they were the reason why um, they were using all the different cameras and they had this thing that was like a a dome. Yeah. Uh, that you sat in with ca- cameras from every angle right. and and the, they they lovingly call it the bubble. Yeah. Now, but um, because they wanted as technology develops, they wanted eventually to be able to. Uh, uh, use hologram technology. Yeah, that makes sense. And create a hologram. But you go in, and you have to ask a question. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, the questions that you answer, the database then searches this mega database yeah. for for addressing that specific question. And then the person, and then it it uh, talks back to you just like it you're just carrying takes on over a conversation. and spits it out. It's a yeah, it's a. NPC like a highly advanced non-playable character with an AI with a you know virtual skin over it so that it's seamless in how it presents itself to the yeah it's it's amazing interface. it's amazing so um, so it's actually really simple if you think about anyway 
So, uh, so the reason why I, I'm sure I look, I'm sure William Shatner is already, uh, already yeah, on it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the reason why I'm thinking about this uh, from a technology standpoint and uh, what's up with that is we have progressed so far in our technology that um, that's I don't know about you, but I mean that's just amazing to me that you can walk in, you can sit down and have a conversation with somebody who's dead. And they can still carry on a conversation like... I mean, yes. Like they were there. I suppose, but really no from the standpoint of it's just a database. Well, you're not impressed because you're from this generation. Well, I'm not impressed because I understand the magic behind it. I think the user interface is what would be impressive, right? But like... It's really simple. Like you, you just use a search feature to pull up a, a pre-existing recording, and then it plays through a user interface that's seamless using, you know, AI. But we do crazy things with CGI. I, I'm more impressed with um, the, with the application of it. Sure, I love the application. That's yeah, a great, yeah, great it's, idea. A, it's, it's a, it's a great idea. It's also yeah. going to be used a lot for making idols it may not be that overwhelming to you josh but i remember the difference between using a thomas guide versus gps well you remember when all <laughs> you had was a radio i, re- I remember right? walking in the mall have... with your kids commenting to your mother why does that person holding a, a brick to their head Right, the the big, the big gray yeah, the big... Zach Morris <laughs> bricks. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, when you were a kid, they didn't have color TVs. Yes, they did, Josh. But I do remember the first no, time. They yes, they did. But I remember the first time that they that uh, I watched uh, the Wizard of Oz in color. Right, back in 1939. We'd. <laughs> You're so funny. All righty. Well, we're going to wrap up our time today together. It is time to do that. We're going to wrap up on time. And uh, do you have anything else? I hope everybody enjoyed today. I did. I am looking up color, t- <laughs> color TVs. <laughs> I need to see. I need to know. The audience needs to know when color television first became My a My father bought a console Curtis Mathis. Color TV. Um, we were living at a house on 84th. Okay, hold on. <laughs> Although, okay, I stand corrected. In 1944, Baird gave the world's first demonstration of a practical fully electronic color television display. However, in the United States, commercially color competing color standards were developed, final, finally resulting... In the NTSC standard for color that retained compatibility. Okay. Although the NTSC color standard was proclaimed in 1953 and limited programming became available, it was not until the early 1970s that color television in North America began to outsell, was not standardized until the 1960s. So, yes, they had the technology, but... They it didn't wasn't become, commonplace. They right? didn't, well, it wasn't commonplace, and they didn't become commercial until way after the technology was there right so i think so if y'all if you if you're interested I in think some you of could this say pastor monty didn't have color tv it, no we had a color tv curtis mathis console model 
But if you're how old if, are you though? If you're interested in some of these different <laughs> things about Pastor Monty's past, then you can go visit um, him at the you, Smithsonian visit, hologram that we're going. Yeah, you should visit uh, <laughs> a, a hologram uh, that we're putting together uh, with a database of my life. You heard it here first. Pastor Monty is going to be made into a hologram. Actually, what we're going to do is we're going to make you into a, a statue and, that you and, can talk and to. So, and so when, but we're going to make sure you have a power cord so you can't chase us. And you know when I for for many years when I preached, Josh, you know one of the things that I reminded people is that we need to have practical examples of how to live for Christ from people you can relate to. That's why I rejected the whole idea of what would Jesus do. But imagine if you could you ask movement what, what would Jesus Pastor do. Monty do, okay. and you could pull up a database. Wow, I <laughs> find that to be slightly blasphemous. <laughs> What? All right, we're going to close right there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. We'll do that. So, um, <laughs> let me find my spot because that threw me for a loop. Uh, yeah, if you're someone who is seeking answers or you want to know more about your faith, if you're new to Jesus Christ the Bible, we'd like to help you. So, check us out at abfpdx.org where all of this, uh, all of our shows are. Uh, we are part of the Vigilance Radio Network along with other shows such as, I don't see the slide on the screen, but it's going to show up at some point, such as uh, Culture Insanity, which we might be having soon to talk about the whole slap that reverberated around the world, um, the hitch slap, if you will. <laughs> Uh, and the Bible with Pastor Adam, and even our weekly sermons. Those happen every week. Uh, there's there's new content on the VRN every week, at least with our weekly sermons. So if you want to connect to all those things, check us out online. You can go to our website. You can go to Facebook, all of that stuff. If you want to donate to us, there's ways to do that. Um, and so check that out at ABFPDX. You get new content from Pastor Monty, each week, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. We will see you then. I'm Pastor Josh, your co-host and the senior pastor here at the church. And uh, this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigil.